Well, hello and welcome back to Killing the Great White Male. We left off last time in our conversation with Dr. Gaddis uh, about Robert Jones's book, White Too Long, around the topic of community rather than continuing to use the term reconciliation. I'm still deeply troubled by this two months after the conversation with Dr. Gaddis. So it, it is definitely, this is, this is worth paying attention to. Let's dive right in. Right. That's what we need. But, but we, we are still in 2020 as evidenced by this insurrection. We are still stuck on recognition. We white evangelical Protestants who sold out to Trump, 70 million people who voted and said, we want some more. Yep. All are in a basket of non of delusion. They don't want to recognize the issue of race. They don't want to recognize that if you if you take your knee and put it on a man's neck and choke him to death while he calls out to his dead mother, that that is wrong. Yes. That the system that creates it must be must be dismantled. Must stand then, convicted. Then you are in a, still in a delusion that you're not willing to recognize the wrong. And yeah. and Jones is trying to get us to see, but in his conclusion in that uh, chapter, uh, the last chapter on um, uh, 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 what does he call it? Uh, 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 reckoning. Uh, reckoning. That that look. You know, we have to really begin the serious work of 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 reaching back and dismantling even the, the all of the historical uh, points at which Christianity has merged with racism in the West, not just America, but in the West. Right. Um, I'll give a quick example. And he talks about this. The mark of of uh, uh, the mark of Cain or. What is used in in most uh, racist um, justifications historically is also the case of Noah, right? Yep. And and uh, if you look at the mark of Cain, right? Cain who killed for your non-religious folk, Cain killed Abel, right? The two sons so, of Adam and Eve. The two sons of Adam and Eve, and then this whole idea that the descendants of Cain were marked and that that mark was black skin. We got to go back in and correct that. That's not that's not correct. Now, even if we want to say that it was chronologically, he flooded the world after that. So they all died any damn way. Well, yeah. Well, well, hold on. Let me let me finish. Let me finish. Go. Then comes Noah, and this is the one I am is more used and is more problematic. Is that uh, Noah built a boat? Don't go to Ohio. That is not the ark. <laughs> Don't get me started. Okay, but anyway, you and Noah, uh, you know, he built an ark. It rained for forty days. The earth flooded. After the flood, right, he let an, uh, a pigeon out or a dove 
that came Same back thing. with an olive branch, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he had three sons, right? He gets out of the boat. He does the first thing me, you, or anybody else would have done. He made some wine and, and got drunk, okay? You know, because, I mean, 40 days in there with all them giraffes and elephants. I mean, man, could you imagine how stinky that was? But anyway, <laughs> so he has three sons, Shem, uh Jephthah and Ham. Yeah. And it says, and we're not going to get into the, the this it too deeply, but 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 what it says is that Shem and Jephthah saw their father in his nakedness and covered him up. But Ham saw his father in his nakedness and did not cover him up. And so Noah cursed Ham. Yep. And so all the theologians said, oh, well, the curse of Ham must have been the black skin color because we all know that Shem is the descendant to the Europeans and Jephthah to, I guess, everybody else. And Ham is the, because of the curse, is Africans, black people, right? Uh, now... I can't tell you how fundamentally screwed up this is because all these people had to do was actually read the damn Bible. Well, and it's all they had to because do was study the Jewish is, texts as but, Jews. Right, but, but <laughs> like, what it says is that there was a curse, but it, the curse was on his grandson Canaan, and from a from a literary perspective, it may it's perfect, right? Because when the Jews left the wilderness and came across the Jordan River and came into the Promised Land, the group of people that they defeated were who the Canaanites, Canaanites. right? Yeah. I mean, it's perfect. I mean, okay. The, the story is is so Jewish; it's not even funny. When you when you see somebody who's naked in Jewish tradition, it is the viewer that is ashamed not the person who is naked. Let's mm -hmm. be real clear about that. That is the curse that would that was being talked about because it was the person who looked at the naked person and didn't cover the cover him up or cover his own eyes. He's the one that did the wrong. Uh, which points something very problematic in American culture around women. If we want to like we don't need to have them putting on more clothes. Men in this country need to figure out how to look away. Um, exactly. So, so let's be real clear there. There's something really important exactly. from Jewish tradition about that. Right. And again, as but you it, pointed out, this whole story was meant to justify the genocide of the Canaanites. There you go. Like this, it, it, and 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 I'm not going anti-Jewish on this. I'm saying that within our communities, we construct myths that support our beliefs and support our own goodness. And this was how the the early Hebrew people did this. Um, mm -hmm. And they told that story a million times, and eventually somebody mm -hmm. wrote it down. Um, right. So I want to pick this up um, on page 232 of the book, because this, sure. this, little, this little paragraph here, um, articul like he nails it, I think, with, with what you're talking about. Um, Jones writes, We are Cain. It is white Christian souls who, who, that have been most disfigured by the myth of white supremacy. And it is we who are most in need of repentance and restoration, not just for the sake of the descendants of those whom our ancestors kidnapped, robbed, whipped, murdered, and oppressed, not 
just for those who today are unjustifiably shot by police, unfairly tried, wrongfully convicted, denied jobs, and poorly educated in failing schools, but for the sake of our children and our own future. And there's hope here in the Genesis story. Even for a guilty and unrepentant Cain, God acts to preserve the possibility of a new future. Now, I highlighted this both because I figured that, yes, we'd end up talking religion about this because it's a thing. Um, but I also, I was struck by the omission of rape and crimes against women in here. Mm. Like the fact that one of the, that genocide always includes rape. It always includes a denial of lineage. It, like this is one of the things that's so destructive about these processes and it's mm -hmm. not mentioned here. And part of me wants to respect the fact that he is going hard on the question of, of race. But I, I feel like this was a missed opportunity because this is not just about race. As we have talked about, it's about the entire way that the U.S. culture constructs itself around individualism and power over um, because those are the things that, that are problematic, whether we're looking at racism, sexism, homophobia, xenophobia, um, ableism. Like every time we, we address one of, these able, one of these isms, there are issues of power over and there are issues of in the notion of the rugged individual. And I think those are the real problems. Those are the things that prop right. all of these things up. Um, and so I feel like it was a missed opportunity on, on Jones's part to point out that this is why uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, for example, has so many different um, tenets in it about who, what black bodies are. Because if, if, if we're not fighting for black women, then this can't be a justice movement. Um, right. The, and that's, I, I think it's a, a huge missed opportunity in the book to notice that bridge even if he's not going to cross it, to notice it and acknowledge that this, there are ties here. Because if you're a black woman, you're, you're, you're not just black and you're not just a woman. Like your rate of rape is significantly higher, triple if I remember correctly, that yes. of, of, a, of a white woman. If you're an indigenous woman, it's even higher still. So, yes. so color matters. It, and, and for us to deny that gender and, and, and color have consequences in, in texts like this, I think, I think is really problematic. Now, yeah, I, I don't yeah. want to be too well, critical because I, I think the whole thing is really good. But that well, the whole book is good. And, and, I, and I agree with with, with that uh, analysis. I would I would point your listeners uh, and maybe you've read this too, Danielle McGuire's book. Have you read that? No. Uh, it's called uh, It's called At the Dark End of the Street: uh, Black Women, Rape, and Resistance: A New History of the Civil Rights Movement. Oh, wow. And uh, where she picks up is Rosa Parks. Now we all know Rosa Parks sat on the bus. I'm tired. Blah blah blah. Yep. And and I didn't say blah 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 to demean Rosa Parks. No. Rosa Parks's advocacy doesn't begin in 1955 on a bus. It begins in 1932 as an advocate for black women who had been sexually assaulted and raped by white men. There we go. That's where her advocacy yeah. begins. And so what she does, what McGuire does in this book is trace this this um, issue 
of black women and advocacy for black women uh, for racial equality in terms of them trying to also fight for their own bodies and the freedom from sexual exploitation. Yes. Yeah. And it's a really powerful um, text. uh, Joanne Robinson spoke to this eloquently, who was one of the architects of the of the uh, of the bus boycott was that, um, you know, she uh, Joanne Robinson said that we're not just fighting for uh, our rights as black people we're fighting for our right to have sovereignty over our own bodies yes and and so yeah huge huge connection and and i think jones you know he doesn't get into this in a deep way uh but um i i you know i often think with authors and you, me included um <sighs> Someone, there will be silence, right? Somewhere, mm-hmm. yes. In in what in what we do, and yes. and it, and it is up to the reader and and um, to critique and recognize those silences and give voice to those silences, uh, even though the best intention of the author is to include or r- recognize those um, those issues. So. But- so I both appreciate that, and I think that's a really important hermeneutic to read with. Like, we have to read with the question, what are the null sets? What's not being talked about? Where are the mm-hmm. silent zones? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. <coughs> and it's it's both so that we are keeping our critical thinking hat on, um, but but also, as, as you put it, to, to offer grace to the author. And the other point that I have to always point out is why we have to tear down white male institutions of academia— is because when we are taught to write this stuff as a scholar in academic circles, we are taught to stay in our lane and to stay, quote-unquote, focused. It's, it's taught to us as a good thing. One of the things I know I'm going to come under fire for in my project if I get into the Ph.D. program I applied for is I, I'm not going to fucking do that. I'm not going to stay in my lane because when you're talking about the human animal, there is no lane. We are the most variety creature on the planet. Um. And, and it's it's that variety that gives us our resilience. And that variety must be part of the, the formula somewhere, to my mind. But that, that notion in Western academia of the precision of naming that comes from that Greek tradition of we can name everything and we're going to parse it down to it and, and all of our species and, and all of these things and the slightest variation, well, how much variation is required before we have a new species and all of this kind of thinking that leads us to, well, we study history in that building and theology in that building and never the twain shall meet, even though history and theology are inexorably intertwined, um, mm-hmm. right? Like, and... Uh, we run into this with methods and theory, right? How do you how do you pull method and theory apart? They, <laughs> they're they're always always embedded with each other, and that that's what happens when we study the human animal from an integrated perspective is is often very different. And so I offer this up both as a yeah I, I don't want to you know bust Jones too hard on this. Um, I do think it's important to mention that there are some there are some gaps here, but it's also important to look at this 
as even as he did good work in bringing himself into this the the story of this study and being very transparent which is a way of undermining white male academic institutional thinking right because we were originally told that we had to be objective in all our work which is just another way of saying you have to be a white man to do this work um it, it, he undermines that by bringing himself into the story which is very much actually a, a sign of black feminist academics um, so I really respected that and appreciated that about him. But I, I think also we have to look at the academic institutions that create that kind of thinking because we cannot parse parts of ourselves out that way. I cannot just call out the part of myself that thinks civil war is inevitable as separate from the part of myself that wants to do the good work and the important work and the hard work that I know I have to do personally, that they're part of the same human being. Right, mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. even if I look at them as parts, I have to also reassemble them and integrate them as a whole. So mm -hmm. it, it really, um, it's, it's a problem. So for those of us who are part of academic institutions, like we have to be undermining those lines. Uh, yeah, I think that's my assertion. <laughs> there you go. My yeah, rant absolutely. For the day. <laughs> no, no, no. I, and I, 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 I completely agree with that. And uh, it's interesting you uh, mentioned um, the intertwining of those disciplines. I chair a department. Yeah, I'm curious de about that. The, the department that I chair is history, philosophy, theology. And even though we all are in our own uh, academic disciplines, there is a lot of interesting overlap. For example, uh, I am a historian, but right now, most of my teaching and research, and if I ever get off my butt and get this book done, um, my writing is uh, has a very powerful ML Kingian theological bent to it because yeah. I am a, a pastor, right? Yep. Um, uh, and so theology is important to me. Uh, one of our theologians is a, uh, how do I say this? Historical theology is her thing. Yes. And she also specializes her, and the way she's writing that is messing up a lot of other people is in terms of interreligious dialogue. Mm. Um, and she's, she's writing a series of books. And the first one uh, starts with the 13th century of Christian, Catholic, Muslim dialogue. Mm, which were amazing uh, and, conversations. And, right, and, and, bringing, and bringing that forward. And then I've got a, I've got a uh, philosopher uh, who is a medievalist. And so oh. his, his specialty works back into Aquinas, but his mindset is historicist in nature. Yes. And so these great conversations happen in this little suite that we, well, in a time not of COVID, in this suite <laughs> that we share, because, you know, I've got another philosopher who, and especially a, a man who teaches feminist philosophy. Yeah. And I've got a white woman who teaches um, contemporary theology and race. And, and so, the, so all these cool discussions happen, um, even though the institution says you are discrete individual categories, you yes. know? 
Um, so, so yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, I appreciate that a lot. I want to, I don't know how, how much time do we have left? Oh, we, we got another 15 minutes or so. 20 oh, minutes. good. How much time do we have left? I, as I listen to this conversation, this is shared experience with Dr. Gaddis and I came to this moment and, and I knew that I, I, I had to cut in here, but when I wrote it down as a transition to talk with you here in this space, in the in the intro, in the outro, in the before and after, it became a much bigger question. How much do we? How much time do we have left? I don't think we know, and I think that was one of the challenges of this of this conversation. I know I had a commitment at the end of our taping session. And I was so frustrated with it because it was an amazing experience to share with Vincent. And so it became for me, as I cut here and and recorded this, how do we have incredible shared experiences? How do we make time for them? How do we make space for conversations that actually matter? And I'm immediately struck by the fact that I'm absolutely privileged to be able to make the space and time to have these conversations, to have the, the ability to record them, to have a cell phone that I can talk to friends on. All of these things are privileges. And I think about the pressures, at least the ones that I remember from living in poverty, the pressures on my time. So, I guess there's multiple things going on here. Number one, how are we making this world more just so that poverty is not what rules these things? How are we addressing the fact that there are people who profit by creating the lack of justice, by creating injustice, by creating oppression every single day? Those of you who work retail or work in a predatory uh, uh, fast food environment, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So I guess first off, if that is you, thank you for making the time and space for this podcast right here, right now. Thank you for making space for yourself to find a way to explore these incredibly tough topics. How will we make space for incredible shared experiences? How will we take that moment, that 20 or 30 seconds that we have on break to have a, a conversation that matters? I'll know what that looks like for you, but I do know that this hit me on this end, listening back to this conversation. Thank you for choosing to spend this time today here in this way. Please share it. I'll talk to you next time.